You're going to love this. Just love it. Me too. I hope. Betcha, stuck in the middle with you right here, live from Los Angeles on Pacifica Radio's KPFK, 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, talking to you San Diego, you'll find out why in a moment, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on your smart devices, of course, on the Progressive Voices channel, on uh, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly iTunes and everywhere else we can find you. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Celebrating, by the way, our 11th anniversary this week. We are now 11 years old in our 12th year of troublemaking and muckraking at bradblog.com. Hope you will come on by and help us celebrate there. We could use your help. Um, All right. Well, let's see. Fun has now returned to Capitol Hill now that Republicans are are back in charge of of the U.S. Senate, where they are removing both civil rights and human rights from the committee that oversees civil rights and human rights and where a voter fraud grifter clown has been called to testify today for some reason in the otherwise very serious U.S. Senate confirmation hearings for Attorney General nominee Loretta Lynch. We hope to get to that a little bit later in the show. We will also have some accountability news for change for an election official in St. Louis County, Missouri, where they ran out of paper ballots last November across the entire county, including in cities like Ferguson, Where they knew there would be uh, uh, increased turnout and where, as the Brad blog reported exclusively last November, officials had been warned that they weren't going to uh, deploy enough paper ballots in advance. They knew it. I got the emails. We published them on Brad blog. And yet those warnings, uh, as revealed in those emails we'd obtained, had been ignored. So there's uh, some accountability there. We'll get to that uh, a little bit later in the show. Also, of course, as ever, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report will be joining us with, of course, the latest on the uh, historic, horrific, and uh, really not so awful blizzard of 2015. At least it wasn't uh, so awful if uh, if you didn't live in New York City. Because, you know, things only count when they affect big media 
in New York City, which happens to be uh, headquartered there. Plus, some good news for the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and some bad news for offshore in the Arctic. All of that and more later in the show. But first, oh, by the way, you can tweet me throughout the show at the Brad blog. All right, uh, let's see. I always, you know, before we get to elections, I always warn folks, you know, the, the night before the election, that problems don't really reveal themselves often until after the election, uh, after Election Day, sometimes days, weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years afterwards. Now, a few weeks ago on this program, I declared after weeks and weeks of covering the November 2014 election and after the main mystery was finally uh, solved with a hand count when we figured out where those mysterious 21 ballots came from. You'll have to check bradblog.com to get the details on that. But once that happened, I declared that our 2014 election coverage here was over. Looks like I lied to you. Or at least I was wrong. Now, to tell this story of a pending 2014 election challenge that is in court right now, we've got to go back to 2004 to help you understand how we got here and what the contestants in this election lawsuit, which hangs on a mere two votes, to explain what they are dealing with. Okay, back in 2004, there was a recount of the 2004 presidential election in Ohio. A lot of people don't know that. But it wasn't the Democrats. It wasn't John Kerry because he had, you know, promised to count every vote and then promptly quit the day after the election. No, this recount was requested by the Green and Libertarian parties after uh, Senator Count Every Vote had conceded. Now, it was only a partial recount, however, because Ohio state law requires that in a recount, just 3% of ballots, 3% are counted by hand. And if that hand count doesn't match the machine count, the entire county must then be recounted by hand. In Cuyahoga County, however, in 2004, Cuyahoga County, the state's largest and most Democratic county in Ohio, that 3% count never actually happened. Not legitimately, anyway. The 3% count uh, in, in a hand count in Ohio is supposed to be of a randomly selected 3% of the precincts. Supposed to randomly select it on the day they do the recount, choose 3% of the precincts out of a hat, count them. If they match the machine count, all is well. If they don't, then you have to count the entire county by hand. Now, Cuyahoga County, as it turns out, the largest and most Democratic county in Ohio in the 2004 presidential election, Cuyahoga County faked the random selection of those 3% of precincts. They faked the recount. In advance of the recount, they selected which precincts to count, and they did it secretly the night before the recount, in advance of the recount to make sure that whatever 3% they counted that day would then match, and so they would not have to count the entire county by hand. Now, as you'll recall, or maybe you won't, had six votes in each precinct in Ohio gone for John Kerry instead of George Bush, John Kerry would have become the president. So counting hundreds of thousands of ballots in Cuyahoga County uh, was no small deal. And yet they faked it. 
They rigged the recount. Now, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is an actual fact. Two highly ranked election officials who carried out that rigged recount were indicted and convicted and sentenced for it. In January of uh, 2007, January 24, 2007, at bradblog.com, we reported on AP's coverage that day. Here's what AP reported. Just so you know, this ain't a conspiracy theory. Two, uh, quote, two election workers in the state's most populous county were convicted Wednesday of illegally rigging the 2004 presidential election recount, says AP so that they could avoid a more thorough review of votes. Jacqueline Maiden, the elections coordinator, who was the board's third highest ranking employee uh, at the Cuyahoga County Election Board uh, when she was indicted last March, that would be March 2006, and ballot manager Kathleen Dreamer, each were convicted of a felony count of negligent misconduct of an election of an elections employee. Maiden and Dreamer also were convicted of one misdemeanor count each of failure of election employees to perform their duty. That was AP back in January of 2007 talking about, quote, the illegally rigged 2004 presidential election recount. Now, ranked above those two women were two more officials at Cuyahoga County, their deputy election director and the election director himself, a man by the name of Michael Vu. Now, theoretically or nominally, Vu himself was supposed to be a Democrat. But election officials in Ohio, they serve at the pleasure of the county election boards, which was run at the time by Republicans, and the county election boards serve at the pleasure of the Secretary of State, who at the time of the 2004 presidential election was a hard right-wing partisan by the name of J. Kenneth Blackwell. Now, the election director of Cuyahoga County, Michael Vu, was supported at the time by the Republican head of the election board. For whatever reason, he was also a hard right partisan. And, of course, The head of that election board was supported by J. Kenneth Blackwell. So uh, for whatever reason, the Republicans loved the Cuyahoga County election director, Michael Vu. Vu, who oversaw the election recount that was rigged in 2004. Vu, however, was never charged as part of the conspiracy to rig that uh, recount, even though both the judge who oversaw the case against uh, the two officials, Maiden and Dreamer, as well as the prosecutor, Both believe that the conspiracy theory went higher. They didn't know if it went to Michael Vu, who was the election director of Cuyahoga, or if it went higher. Eventually, those election workers, uh, the two of them, Maiden and Dreamer, were sentenced to 18 months for rigging the 2004 presidential recount. The judge at the time said, quote, I can't help but feel there's more to this story, unquote. This is according to AP. We reported it uh, in uh, 2007. I can't help but feel there's more to the story, said Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court Judge Peter Corrigan. The judge repeatedly asked Jacqueline Maiden and election co- uh, an election coordinator at Cuyahoga County, who was the board's third highest ranking employee, and ballot manager Kathleen Dreamer, if higher ups in the board had directed the recount rigging. It seems unlikely your supervisors wouldn't know, the judge prodded. Telling the whole truth, that's what's important, he said. I'm not convinced you've done that. The prosecutor at the time, who was appointed as an outside investigator to look into the election board in Cleveland, told the judge that the women had been uncooperative in the investigation and appealed for prison time for both. The defendants never came clean, the prosecutor said. 
Now, eventually, those two women, Maiden and Dreamer, appealed, and they were allowed to take a plea of no contest. And they were allowed to enter a diversion program that once they completed it, the charges completely went away as if they never happened. Literally, the case has now been sealed, and legally, it's as if it never happened. But Vu, Michael Vu, was never held legally accountable for anything, even though a recount of a presidential election in his county was found to have been rigged by two of his top election officials, the ones just below him. Vu was still on hand then uh, for Ohio's next big election in uh, 2006. I believe it was May, the primary. It didn't go well. More than one in four Diebold systems were found to have recorded votes incorrectly in Cuyahoga County in that uh, May 2006 election, according to an audit that was carried out independently. Some ballots were scanned twice, others not at all. The database was found corrupted and not recommended for use by Microsoft. Michael Vu, the uh, uh, registrar out there at Cuyahoga County, eventually resigned in somewhat disgrace, but not too much disgrace that he wasn't hired immediately by San Diego, California. San Diego County, California, hired him on to be their deputy, uh, deputy registrar in San Diego. Well, at the time... We wrote, uh, here's what I wrote. With a record like that, Michael Vu will no doubt be promoted from assistant registrar to registrar any day now in San Diego. And, of course, eventually he was. In 2013, Vu became the registrar in San Diego, which brings us to the November 2014 election in San Diego, where a lawsuit has now been filed against Michael Vu in a race decided by just Two votes, two votes out of some 37,000 votes cast. Michael Vu oversaw this election. He oversaw the recount of this election. And now there's a contest that has been filed. It's the Chula Vista City Council race, seat number one, in which John McCann, not McCain, John McCann, a Republican, uh, faced off against Steve Padilla, a Democrat. McCann had 18,448 votes counted for him. Padilla, the Democrat, had 18,446 votes counted for him. According to the lawsuit filed by voter Aurora Clark, quote, at least 15 votes cast in the election were not counted as legal votes. Specifically, errors were made such that the election code was not followed with respect to counting provisional and vote-by-mail ballots. Talked to you many times about what a bad idea vote by mail is. At least 15 ballots were at least 15 ballots were not counted by Registrar Michael Vu, even though, according to the lawsuit, in this election uh, decided by two two ballots, they should have been counted. This in a race decided by two votes in favor of the Republican. Joining us to talk about this lawsuit right now, pending in uh, in San Diego in Chula Vista is the attorney who filed the suit, John S. Moot. He's a commercial and business trial attorney with 26 years of experience. As well, he served himself for six years on the Chula Vista City Council, two of those years as the town's deputy mayor. He's representing Aurora Clark in this election contest, a longtime poll worker and voter in Chula Vista in California, where any voter may file for a recount or an election contest. John Moot, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Uh, thank you very much. 
I hope I got everything right there. Feel free to correct me if, if you found any points that I missed. But I, I want to get right to this lawsuit, if possible. Why were these ballots, these at least 15 ballots, why were they not counted? Why did Michael Vu decide to reject these 15 ballots that could determine the election? Well, from from what we understand and we're told by uh, people who are working during the recount is that there were addresses on the provisional ballots that were not the register not the address the voter originally registered at and was an address that was uh, a PO box or a business address and as a result um for reasons not clear to me um Mr. Vu decided not to count those votes and that's provisional ballots uh, and uh, some mail-in ballots where essentially you've got to put your name on the outside on a, a, a privacy sleeve. You put your address, you sign it. Uh, did the signatures on those ballots match the signatures that are on file for those voters? Yes. What, what we have been told, and I was not uh, an attorney for either of the campaigns, but I did speak with the attorneys for the campaigns, and what we were told is that the addresses on the provisional ballots, the mail ballots, all matched, excuse me, the, the signatures on the ballots all matched the signatures on file with the registrar of voters. But what caught my attention was this issue has been decided twice by the courts with respect to absentee ballots. And in those situations, two court decisions have said the election code does not require or mandate that the registrar look at the actual address. Their, their job is to look at the signatures, and if the signatures match the signature on file um, with the registration, then the vote is supposed to count. And, and I've looked through some of the uh, statutes on this, the, uh, the election code, and indeed what the uh, California uh, CACEO, the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials uh, advises in regard to the law as far as what ballots should be counted. And indeed, uh, you know, on provisional ballots, if the resident address line is left blank, in other words, the voter has given no information uh, but has signed it and the signature matches, they're supposed to count that ballot. So why would they not count? Why would Michael Vu, has he given any reason why he did not count these uh, at least 15 ballots? Is the only reason that, uh, oh, the the addresses didn't match? And if so, why don't the addresses match, John Moot? Well, those are all good questions, and that's why in lawsuits we have what's called the discovery process. And I'll have an opportunity to take Mr. Vu's deposition under oath and that question will be posed to him, and, and he'll give a reason, and we'll see if that reason passes uh, the strict scrutiny test uh, under the Constitution for disenfranchising voters. So he will be asked those questions. We will get his answer. Um, we, we do know uh, preliminarily from a TV report uh, that at least two of the voters said that they were in between addresses, um, that they had moved, and that's why they put down their business address. Uh, the rest of the voters we don't know, but again, we may have an opportunity to find out why they put a different address. That situation of a different address, though, however, is a matter that came up in front of the California Supreme Court well over 20 years ago uh, with respect to students who had registered while they were in the dormitory and then after the school year ended, you know, they were going to go to a new dormitory, mm -hmm. live off campus, and there was an election, I think it was in Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. and uh, 
the same issue came up. The, the registrar said, well, they don't have an address and they don't have a, a place where they live right now. Um, I think it was like over 200 students, mm-hmm. and they didn't count the votes. And the California Supreme Court was actually quite clear in that case and said no. Uh, in a situation like that, you count the vote in the last place they were validly registered. So the the law is definitely in favor of the challenged voter, and there's even a presumption in the election code uh, that any doubts about the interpretation of the election code should be decided in favor of the challenged voter. And that's what a host of California cases also say about interpreting the election code. And, and that's actually from uh, Election Code 14251. Any doubt in the interpretation of the law shall be resolved in favor of the challenged voters. And uh, the California Association of Clerks and Election Officials says uh, that you should be as liberal as possible when applying these laws. Uh, you know, you should always, uh, if there's a question, always uh, fall in favor of the voters. So, you know, if, if I was uh, going to be out of town and I needed an absentee uh, ballot uh, because I was going to be out of town on Election Day and I took it with me and I signed it uh, and I put the out-of-town address where I was voting from on the outside of that envelope, I'm still a registered voter uh, where I where I live, and if the signature matches, the signature matches. So I, I'm not sure what you know, San Diego County in this case could possibly be contending. I should say that I've uh, attempted to contact Michael Vu to get comment on this. I have uh, yet to hear back from him uh, with his explanation. But, you know, looking back at this case, looking back at Michael Vu's history, uh, looking through some of the reporting, I want to add Greg Moran from the uh, uh, Union Tribune down there in San Diego has been doing some great reporting on this. He's the one who who started looking back at Vu's history and apparently found a lot of our reporting at Bradblog.com on it. Um, I'm I'm glad people are tying it together. But uh, do you, John Moot, in your lawsuit, do you have concern here that there's uh, or evidence that there's nefariousness? Is this just, um, well, I guess in, in legal parlance, is this misfeasance or malfeasance on the part of uh, the election uh, director down there? Well, I obviously can't answer that question. Um, what I do know um, is that when this issue was brought to my attention, uh, you know, I I have a tendency as a lawyer, not necessarily, no offense to the press, to rely on everything I read. So I did call and I spoke with the special prosecutor in Mason County um, who was in charge of that prosecution, and I did get firsthand from him what had happened. Uh, I also spoke with the Secretary of State of Ohio, the former Secretary of State of Ohio, um, who actually ended up filing a civil lawsuit to remove one of the members of the Board of Elections who wouldn't resign. and yeah, Actually, I, she made it. You're talking about Jennifer Bruner, the uh, Secretary of State. She made the entire board of Cuyahoga County resign once she finally came to power. Uh, but the one who supported Michael Vu, a guy by the name of uh, 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 Baxter, as I recall, uh, he hung on. He wouldn't leave. She had to sue him. He was a big Republican, and he was supporting uh, Michael Vu, who was uh, theoretically a Democrat. Anyway, I interrupted you there. But but so I mean I did speak to the two officials who were directly involved and they told me essentially what you have reported. So how that ties it to, to our particular case will be remain to be seen. Once more of the facts come out and we 
have a better understanding of what uh, the registrar did and why he did it, uh, I'll be in a better position to see if there's any relevance. Mm -hmm. There there was one fact that caught my attention, um, and that was apparently before the recount in Ohio, apparently two law professors um, actually testified that the procedures in that county for recounts were illegal. Uh, And now I can't tell Mm -hmm. exactly what happened, but it appears as if even though this testimony was offered before the recount, the recount went ahead in a matter that was determined ultimately to be illegal. And to me, if if that involves an exercise of discretion on behalf of the person in charge, um, that that if that's an issue in our case, then what happened in Ohio potentially could be relevant. Yeah, and it was uh, at the time. Uh, the woman who sort of uh, discovered this uh, rigged recount back in 2004, a woman by the name of uh, Kathleen Wynn, who was video, uh, videotaping the, the proceedings uh, on behalf of Black Box Voting, she said at the time that she talked to Michael Vu about it, and he basically said, oh, yeah, this is our procedure. We do it the night before. We count the ballots uh, so that we're ready the next day so that we can make sure that uh, there are no problems, which seems incredibly illegal and in violation of of the law and the intent uh, of a recount. But um, if you're successful, uh, John Moot, on behalf of your client here, uh, can a judge order that those 15 ballots be counted, uh, included in the count? I I understand you don't know who they're for because they're still sealed up. Uh, But if those 15 ballots are counted, if uh, Steve Padilla, the Democrat, ends up winning, uh, can he then be uh, seated? And, and what's the legal procedure here? Do they remove uh, the guy, John McCann, who has been sworn in and who's, I believe, currently serving on the Chula Vista City Council? Well, that the way the uh, the election contest laws work in California is precisely, I think, how you have recounted it. The, the court can order the register to open and count the ballots. And if the ballots cast then change the results of the election, uh, they can then order the registrar to recertify the election results, in which case, if there's a different winner, that different winner then would be seated as the council person. So there is still a chance that the results can uh, be changed, even though the candidate has now, the official has now been sworn in uh, to the job. Very interesting. Um, A couple more points before I let you go here, John. Uh, in, in looking through your lawsuit, uh, one of the uncounted ballots, let me just read what, what is written here. And I guess you don't know the names of these people. They've just been identified by number to you at this time. But it says voter 13 was improperly not counted because the registrar of voters determined that the signature on the ballot did not match the signature on file. Voter 13's ballot should be included in the final election tally because Voter 13 is a registered voter in Chula Vista and the signature matched the voter registration signature, according to you guys. So he says it doesn't match. You guys say it does. Uh, Does the registrar of voters in California counties, uh, do they have the power to determine whether a signature on a on a vote by mail ballot actually matches the signature on file, and if so, what skills do they have to 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 determine 
uh, the, I mean, people's handwriting changes over time. I was talking to someone about this case the other day. This is, she said, oh, I've got 14 different signatures. Uh, you know, what is it that makes these guys experts enough that they're allowed to uh, keep in or toss out a ballot based on a, a signature? Well, you ought to be a lawyer because, uh, believe it or not, uh, that issue has come up before. And in one of the reported cases, when the issue comes to matching of signatures, a court of court has said or reviewed it under what they call an abuse of discretion standard. Did the registrar abuse their discretion in saying the signatures didn't signatures didn't match? Uh, that that standard of review is not the typical standard of review when you're dealing with a constitutional issue such as the right to vote, which is typically decided or almost always decided on what they call the strict scrutiny standard. Mm -hmm. And that is whether the state has offered any rational basis um, to impinge on this constitutional right. So I think it's an open question, um, at least as far as the California Supreme Court may be concerned, as to whether the court determines the signature matches and retains a handwriting person to make that analysis, or whether the registrar's a view of that is simply reviewed, and if it does not appear he abused the discretion, uh, then his decision stands. I have to say, however, that while that is one of the one of the ballots, I think there's a class of at least ten of them mm -hmm. that clearly fall within what I would call the disenfranchisement of a group of voters. In other words, there's a whole class of voters here whose votes did not count because of the address they put on their ballot. And I think as to that issue, um, I think the constitutional standard of strict scrutiny clearly applies. And the, one of the reasons for that, frankly, is that it's not that these votes just didn't count in Chula Vista. These voters' votes didn't count for governor. They didn't count for assembly. Mm -hmm. They didn't count for the propositions. So they have been completely disenfranchised in all their votes, not just in this particular vote, uh, as race that yeah. the vote could have decided. Well, that's right. And that's about, uh, and, and on those uh, ballots, there are no questions about the signature. Everyone agrees that they match. They've only been left out of the counting uh, because of the registrar interpreting the law somehow to say if the, uh, the address is different than the one on file, uh, they can't be counted. Um, you know, this is one of the reasons, uh, John, that I... Uh, and, and a lot of Democrats hate me for this, but why I tell people that, you know, vote by mail is a terrible idea. Unless you must, unless you're going to be out of town on Election Day or, you know, a, a similar reason you can't get to the polling place. Um, when you vote by mail or when you're forced to vote on a provisional ballot, people think that's a vote. That's not a vote. That's a maybe vote. A lot of provisional ballots are thrown out. And it's not just this one race. Uh, I was reading today, John, I, uh, you, I hope you're near Orange County, because uh, in a completely separate matter, only two votes currently separate Andrew Doe and Lou Correa in a special election this week uh, for Orange County supervisor in a race where some 32,000 votes were cast. So elections and voting matters. The way you vote matters. Election oversight matters. Uh, accountability, I would argue, for failed election uh, administrators like Michael Vu matters. 
so that they don't just get hired in, in the next town like they did in, in San Diego. What insiders can do to elections and ballots matters. And you never see that generally if you're uh, if you've been forced to vote by provisional or if you vote by uh, vote by mail. Well, you know, Brad, many people have asked me, you know, why I got involved in a case like this, because, you know, I'm not being paid. It's a, it's a pro bono case. And I tell people very simply, uh, I went through this experience personally. When I was elected to this Chula Vista City Council, it was by 11 votes. <laughs> and I went through a yep. recount in the days before people knew about Bush versus Gore and hanging chads. And uh, when they did the recount and ran them through the machine again, um, uh, my vote total went up to 27, and I earned the nickname Landslide Moot. <laughs> but, but I know firsthand every vote counts. I was yep. in an election where every vote literally counted. And when this situation arose again in Chula Vista, I just felt it was very important, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a declined state, if you took the time, as these people did, to go down to the ballot box and cast a vote, it should be counted. You know, 34% of the eligible voters voted. And, and why we would not count the votes of the people who took the time, the people who are in a vast majority who are actually voting in this country, and then not count their vote, I think it just runs counter to everything we know about a constitutional democracy. And I felt this was a very important issue to get resolved. I think in close elections, it is vital that the process be followed to the letter of the law and as the Constitution requires it. John S. Moot, attorney from the uh, firm Schwartz, Samergian, Ballard, and Cauley, LLP, uh, fighting to make sure every ballot gets counted down there in uh, in San Diego County in Chula Vista. John, I'm not going to tell your—I'm going to have to edit that part out of my show where you talked about I should be a lawyer before my parents hear it because they agree with you. But uh, thanks for underscoring why this matters. Two votes— out of about 32,000 votes cast in the Orange County Supervisor race, two votes out of some 37,000 votes cast in the Chula Vista City Council race. Yes, elections matter. John, thanks for, uh, for fighting down there, and please keep us updated as this case moves forward. Well, thank you for being concerned about the issue. I uh, have been for too many years. Thanks, John Moot. It takes two, baby. It takes two. Just two. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Come back for more Bradcast and some actual accountability, yes, for an election official for a change after they screwed up an election. This time in my old hometown. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back 
This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. I uh, I play that song mostly for me. Anybody who uh, grew up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, as I did, will uh, recognize that after uh, the blues games on KMOX. They would always play that uh, as we were walking back to the car from watching the game or listening on air. Uh, oh, I love that song. In any case, the reason I'm playing it is because uh, this is a story about St. Louis, about St. Louis County, about Ferguson, Missouri, and about accountability for elections, as we were talking about uh, before the break with John Moot. Now, you know, and and frankly, the reason you thought just because election season was over, we were going to stop talking about elections. Think again. I can promise you. That the elected officials uh, haven't stopped talking about elections. They're trying to figure out how to run them, how to game them, uh, you know, already for 2016. The time is now to pay attention to this stuff. It's not to wait until November of 2016 when it's too late to do anything about the way your elections are run. Uh, A few weeks ago, actually, I guess a few months ago, back in uh, November, we reported exclusively at bradblog.com how they had run out of paper ballots across St. Louis County in uh, hundreds of precincts. Now, in St. Louis County, for some insanely stupid reason, they allow voters to vote either on uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems or on paper ballots. Your choice. When you go to vote, you could uh, vote on either one. They tend to direct people towards the touchscreen voting systems, towards the completely unverifiable systems. They've been doing that for years. I can't figure out why. I don't know why anybody would want to vote on them, uh, much less even be allowed to vote on those systems that we know are that bad and that unverifiable. In any event, in St. Louis County, uh, they ran out of paper ballots all across the county, including in Ferguson, Missouri, where they expected a, a bump in turnout, given everything that's gone on back in Ferguson uh, over the past year. And as we reported at Bradblog.com in November, in an email sent to the election director of St. Louis County, a woman by the name of Rita Days, she's a former state senator, Senator Rita Days, an email sent to her on October 20th, several weeks before the November elections, Dr. Cynthia Richards, president of Missourians for Honest Elections, a nonpartisan advocacy group, that has been encouraging the use of hand-marked paper ballots for years now in Missouri. Uh, She wrote to uh, Senator uh, Days, the election director in St. Louis County, saying that she was, quote, concerned that there there might, quote, might not be enough paper ballots at every polling place on November 4th to cover all the voters who would like to have one, unquote. Uh, Election director Days responded uh, to the email two days later saying that, uh, oh, she wasn't that worried about it, that they plan to allow the voters to vote as usual on paper or electronic voting systems, as they have for years, and that 15 percent paper ballots would be enough in most cases, and they were prepared to print more ballots on the day of the election if needed. She wrote back to Richards, quote, we are committed to giving voters the option of voting via paper or electronic. We have slated 15 percent paper for Election Day when poll workers notice that voters are using more paper than iVotronics. That's the uh, ESNS iVotronic 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen system. 
when voters notice that uh, voters are using more paper, they let the deputies know. They give us a call, and we are prepared to deliver more paper ballots if that becomes necessary. If we are down to the last hour, she wrote, we will not have an opportunity to deliver the ballots unless they are in the general vicinity of the election board. Uh, this was a, a, an email that we obtained at bradblog.com showing the election director in Missouri ignoring the advice of election integrity advocates. Another uh, election integrity advocate also wrote to Senator Days to tell her that in the years other than presidential elections, the percentage of votes on paper has been a steady 20 percent. This was Philip Michaels of the uh, Missouri Coalition for Transparent and Secure Elections. He said, I know you're in the thick of election prep right now. But I just wanted to raise a possible warning flag. Well, uh, Senator Rita Days ignored those warning flags. People uh, ran out of ballots all across the county. They had to keep the polls open late for several hours. They were telling people throughout the day, come back later. If you insist on voting on paper ballots, hand-marked, you must come back uh, later on in the day because we ain't got none. It was a mess. And usually in these cases, such as what happened in Ohio, there was uh, no accountability. In this case, there finally was. This comes from KMOV just last week. Quote, after coming under scrutiny for problems during last year's elections, the St. Louis County Director of Elections is being forced out of her position. Rita Days was unanimously voted out of the position by the Board of Elections Commission. Days came under criticism last November when thousands of voters had to wait longer than expected because polling stations ran out of paper ballots. Some accountability, finally, in uh, in St. Louis County, for whatever that's worth. We'll take it. Small steps. Baby steps. This stuff matters. This stuff matters. And note to San Diego County, don't go out and hire Rita Days now. Just because she's available. You don't have to hire all the failed election directors in the country to run elections down in San Diego. Okay, a couple more items. And uh, Desi Doyen, uh, we're going to get to you in just a few minutes with the uh, with the Green News Report. Stand by. Um, they're, uh, they're having hearings, confirmation hearings right now in, uh, in the U.S. Senate. This is kind of amazing. Actually, before I get to this very quickly, because uh, I had teased this, um, now that Republicans have taken over the U.S. Senate, they're renaming the committees in the U.S. Senate. So uh, let's see. The Senate Judiciary Committee has a a number of subcommittees. And uh, the subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights and Human Rights has now been taken up by Texas Senator John Cornyn. He has renamed the committee instead of the subcommittee on the Constitution, Civil Rights and Human Rights. The committee is now called the Subcommittee on the Constitution. That's right. Civil rights and human rights have been struck from the committee's name, even though it is this committee's job to oversee civil rights and human rights in this country on behalf of the U.S. Senate. Uh, Nancy Zirkin, executive VP at the uh, Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, noticed the name change. She says uh, names matter. This, after all, is a subcommittee with jurisdiction over the implementation and enforcement of many of our most important civil rights laws. Of course, John Cornyn of Texas 
uh, has said that, uh, well, he has been an opponent of legislation that would restore federal oversight for local and state election uh, changes that were eliminated when the Supreme Court gutted a provision of the Voting Rights Act back in 2013. So a uh, little wonder he wants to do away with uh, civil rights and human rights. Oh, also uh, over on the Subcommittee on Immigration, Refugees and Border Security, which is now uh, being overseen by Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama. That's now called the Subcommittee on Immigration and the National Interest. All right. So in the Senate, where they're renaming uh, the, the names of these committees to suit the Republicans who now control them. They're having nomination hearings, oversight hearings for uh, Loretta Lynch, the attorney general nominee. <laughs> who did they call to testify at Loretta Lynch's uh, nomination hearings? Well, first, you may or may not have heard, I don't know, uh, a CBS, former CBS News reporter Cheryl Atkinson who has uh, made her bones reporting on pretend scandals in the Obama administration, the Fast and Furious scandal, and then most notably Benghazi. And uh, she believes that she was uh, fired because uh, the administration put pressure on CBS to get rid of her because she was getting too close to the truth of Benghazi or something. Uh, so she'll be testifying at these hearings, but so uh, will this woman by the name of Catherine Engelbrecht. Catherine Engelbrecht is the founder of a pretend Republican voter fraud group calling themselves True the Vote. Uh, this group is absolutely amazing. We, At the time that they introduced themselves uh, uh, to the world back in 2010 as a uh, nonpartisan tax-exempt election integrity group, uh, their very first act was to put out a video that showed uh, who they are and introduced them. And uh, one of the uh, uh, frames in that video included a photograph of a an African-American woman holding up a sign at a protest. And the sign says, I only got to vote once. And behind her, there's a sign that says, I'm with stupid so this uh, black woman is furious. She only got to vote once. Turns out you'll be shocked to learn that the photo was a fake, that it was actually a photograph from protests after the 2000 election down in Florida. The sign that says I'm with stupid actually was a Gore Lieberman sign. And uh, this woman's sign said, don't mess with our votes. It didn't say I only got to vote once. This Catherine Engelbrecht, that was the least of her problems, frankly. This organization... Is It's a grifter organization. It's a con. It's a scam. They are in place solely to push the idea that we need uh, photo ID voting restrictions across the country. And they go out in election after election, promise to disclose fraud, voter fraud in the elections. They can never find any. But they come out and they lie about it. Uh, we've exposed them now for uh, several years at bradblog.com. You can go on over there and uh, search for True the Vote to see who these clowns are, what they do, how they lie, how they've been tossed out of court cases, how they publish fake voter fraud data, how they actually harass legal voters attempting to cast legal votes at the polling place. That's what this group does. And their founder is Catherine Engelbrecht, and for some reason, 
She has been invited as an expert witness at the nomination hearings at the otherwise very serious, very real nomination hearings for Loretta Lynch, the nominee for U.S. Attorney General. That's the clown show that is now going on in your U.S. Senate. Welcome to it. January 2017 can't come soon enough at this rate. All right, let's do some green news. Melting for you, Desi Doyen, <laughs> our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report. Uh, you have been, by the way, on uh, Loretta Lynch nomination hearing duty all day long, all morning long. How are the, how have those uh, uh, hearings been going? Oh, they've been actually not that interesting. Really? <laughs> I thought they would be a little bit more interesting than that. But, you know, it's essentially watching the same sort of uh, partisan fights that are playing out outside of the hearing. They were playing inside the hearing as well. And and actually, even the, the Republican senators and the Democratic senators both admitted at the beginning of the hearing that what they were going to talk about was really about stuff that had nothing to do with her, but they were going to talk about it anyway. I see. Well, yes. And uh, one of those things, and I should say, by the way, they're not that interesting, but that's only because that's only because uh, Atkinson and uh, Engelbrecht have yet to come up to that's testify. That's true. That's true. Oh, it's going to get lively at that point. At least I hope it does. Um, okay, I, I should note uh, uh, Tom Tillis, the new senator from uh, North Carolina, um, who oversaw the worst voting uh, voter suppression law in the nation out there in North Carolina. Uh, he declared today that North Carolina, during these hearings, uh, had taken heroic efforts to avoid disenfranchising voters. Maybe we'll have something on that in the days ahead. Okay, before we get to the green news, Desi Doyen, uh, Dinesh D'Souza, one of the smart Republicans, their <laughs> intellect... Don't laugh. He's one of their intellectuals. Ah. Uh, he tweeted uh, after the uh, blizzard this week, quote, according to liberal reasoning, the true and obvious cause of massive snow blizzards is dot, 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 global warming. <laughs> Uh, according to liberal reasoning. Of course, because that's exactly the opposite of what anybody actually said. No one said global warming causes blizzards. Well, the fact that uh, the massive snow blizzards uh, actually uh, has been attributed to global warming. You well, can't say it's caused by. They said it was amplified by. He also said, quote, if hot summers demonstrate global warming, why don't cold winters demonstrate global cooling? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of stupid. Nuts. Huh? He is. Well, I, I don't think he's stupid. I think he's he's purposely um, uh, opaque on that. Stupid. He's stupid. There. On purpose. It's Dinesh D'Souza. I, I call him Dinesh D'Stupid after that. Sorry. All right. Let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Take caution. Get prepared. Be ready. Significant storm. Very fast, very hard. Extreme, severe winter event. A lot ahead of us. Really hazardous conditions. Take every precaution. You are going to be without power for a period of time. Take these forecasts very seriously. Hits, misses, and hype in a not-that-historic blizzard 2015. This is a winter's worth of snow in 36 hours. The influence of global warming on the storm with a 100% chance of denial. Interior Department to expand offshore drilling as another pipeline explodes in West Virginia. Plus, my Department of Interior has put forward a comprehensive plan to make sure that we're protecting 
the refuge. Obama calls on Republicans to protect the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Yes, good luck with that, Mr. President. All of that and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. This will most likely be one of the largest blizzards in the history of New York City. Well, there you go. Scientists get it wrong again. See, you can never trust them. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, before we get started today, a long overdue welcome to our newest affiliate partner here at the Green News Report, Independent Underground Radio Live. Welcome to Monica RW and the crew and the listeners over there at IURL. Hey, welcome, guys. Glad to have you aboard. Indeed we are. Okay, Desi Doyen, as you know, the worst of Blizzard 2015 missed New York City, at least it missed most of Manhattan, therefore... It didn't happen at all. (laughs) Am I wrong or right? You are totally wrong. I'm totally right. The fact is, if it doesn't happen in New York City... The mainstream media turns the other way. The whole thing goes away in 10 minutes. You watch and see. Yeah, unfortunately, Boston, Massachusetts got the brunt of the somewhat historic blizzard of 2015. Boston is not New York, just saying. If nothing else, the storm was historic for the level of preparation. The governors of seven states declared total travel bans and states of emergency in advance of the storm. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo tried to sound a hopeful note. The good news is... The sun will come out again. We just don't know when. He then put on a red curly wig and began singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. Already the political backlash has begun, and even some weather forecasters in New Jersey apologized for what they called, quote, a big forecast miss. So the question is, did those governors overreact, causing more disruption than necessary? Or is it the bell that didn't ring, the thousands of stranded motorists that we didn't see? In truth, I joke about it, but obviously it makes more sense to over-prepare than under-prepare. So, uh, big deal. Folks got to take the night off, got to sleep in a little bit the next morning. Sounds good to me. The track of the blizzard shifted from the original forecast, but it is important to remember that the intensity didn't. Several climate scientists and meteorologists said it's fair to say the intensity of this event was amplified by global warming, fueled by record warm ocean temperatures, according to meteorologist Paul Douglas on MSNBC. That thin, narrow Gulf Stream water strip, as much as 8, 9, 10 degrees Celsius, warmer than average for late January. And that is adding additional water vapor. So would this storm have happened naturally? Absolutely. Is a warmer ocean making it worse and increasing the snowfall amounts? Absolutely. Meanwhile, in other news, a natural gas pipeline exploded in rural Brook County, West Virginia on Tuesday. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but it was allowed to be built close enough to homes to melt the siding off of at least one house. It is the fourth major pipeline failure in the U.S. this month. And is any of this having an effect on Republicans in Congress calling for the Keystone XL pipeline to be built? What with all of these pipelines rupturing and blowing up all over the country? No, it's like it never happened. Because it didn't happen in New York City, or in this case, perhaps Washington, D.C., 
inside the Capitol building. And speaking of politics, a week after tweaking Republicans in his State of the Union address, President Obama has ordered the Interior Department to propose opening up new offshore drilling areas in the fragile Arctic and off the Atlantic coast. It's only a draft plan of potential leases, and it does have to go through a lengthy public comment period required by law. But on the other hand, President Obama is now calling for the Republican-controlled Congress to expand the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, to protect it and other pristine Alaskan territories from oil and gas development permanently. Isn't that the pristine Alaskan territories that Republicans have been trying to drill on for years? Yes, Alaskan Republicans are incensed. Senator Lisa Murkowski called the new limits, quote, a kick to the gut of Alaska's economy. So Obama wants to drill offshore. Republicans want to drill onshore. And now's when you chant, drill, baby, drill. Yes. For much more drilling, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, download us anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. North to Alaska, go north for Russia's own. North to Alaska. My thanks, as ever, to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to G, our expert soundboard operator. Also, my thanks today to my guest, John S. Moot. Until we see you next time, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world. Good night, world.